Hi everyone, it's Witchy Bites, episode 28. Today you've got me, just me, Liz. Honey has been moving house and between work and moving, she just has not had time. So we're sad not to have her here this month, but uh, she'll be back next month. This month I was inspired by an aurora display we had here in the sky in, in southern Tasmania. And it was stunning. Uh, you couldn't see it with the with well, you could see it with your naked eye, but you couldn't see color very easily with your with the naked eye. So it was like this, like kind of white dawn display on the horizon with like big beams of light going up into the sky. Took heaps of photos, and thankfully my camera can pick up color. So I was really excited. That was my phone camera. I sat outside and I watched the aurora and I really got into it and I just started to wonder what are aurora auroras in witchcraft and so this is my topic for today. This has led me on a bit of a chase because what I didn't realize about aurora and when I go through it you'll understand why is that it's solar magic. And I also didn't realize that it fits into this whole group of witchcraft called space weather witchcraft. So I have gone down this massive rabbit hole and this is what I'll be talking to you about today. Now, I am going to be talking about some of the more, I guess, boring, you could say boring. I personally love the sciencey stuff, so which is why my topics are so scientifically <laughs> oriented sometimes. Oh, I just have to apologize that if you hear like little taps in the background and I haven't been able to remove them, I have the wallabies in the study with me while I'm recording and they're hopping around. It's been completely raining down here, like day in day out and it's just been too heavy for me to put them outside so they because they're too small still I think they're waterproof at this stage but they're just a bit small I worry that they'll get a chill so anyway I'll try and remove the little clips of their little little feetsies out but um yeah if you hear that I'm sorry I won't be able to do much about it the order of this talk should you want to skip bits the first bit I'm going to talk about the science behind space weather uh, what it is, how it works. The second bit, I'm going to talk about the sciencey stuff around aurorae or auroras, depending on which word you use to describe the plural for aurora. And then I'm going to just like really briefly, no, it won't be brief, but I want to talk about aurorae in folklore. I had to pick and choose stories because there are so many. I've kind of gone with themes and have just talked a little bit about each kind of theme. So that's the next bit. And then finally, I'll talk to you about how space weather affects you, us, people, animals, and how to best utilize that in your witchcraft. So I have to say apologies. It's going to be a big topic again. After the sound of one, that was big. (laughs) Space weather. This is what we're talking about today. Okay, so what is space weather? Space weather is essentially caused by activity on the sun. So everything about it is solar-based. Types of solar activity include solar flares, coronal mass ejections, high-speed solar winds, and solar energetic particles. So this is, again, space activity on the sun, which creates 
space weather. So all solar activity is driven by the sun's magnetic field. Space weather from the sun then can travel large distances and can even reach the Earth. So that's a that's a massive space. That's 150 million kilometers or 93 million miles. And yeah, space weather affects things here on Earth. I'm going to talk about each type of space weather and give you a definition of what it is because it actually makes a difference with how to use it in witchcraft. And it also makes a difference for how aurorae are formed. I'm probably going to swap between aurorae and auroras, (laughs) so apologies in advance. Aurorae is the official sort of term, but auroras is really commonly used. Okay, so solar flares, first thing we're going to talk about, what they are. They're intense bursts of radiation that come from magnetic energy associated with sunspots. Naughty wallaby on the sun's surface. So these explosive events from the sun's surface can last for minutes, so really fast, or can go for hours. So it can have a slower release, I guess. These releases contain charged particles that are get sent into the solar system. Uh, solar flares are very high in temperature and they're full of radiation. So we're talking gamma rays and x-rays and this is what interferes with communications here on earth if you ever watch any of those prepper shows which i love by the way they're often talking about worries about the power grid going down because of solar flares so that's (laughs) what are you doing zazu solar flares they can be of various sizes so there are some that are small some that are large It tends to be the large ones that impact with communication on Earth. Solar flares are also known to impact humans energetically and can be used in witchcraft for extra oomph. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later when I talk about the witchcraft stuff, but just know that that connection's in there. Okay, next I'm talking about coronal mass ejections. So this is what's important for when auroras are formed. I'm going to call them CMEs for going forward, uh, just because it's easier <laughs> to say. The corona is the hot outer atmosphere on the sun. And again, it's structured by strong magnetic fields. So everything on the sun is pretty much, when it comes to space weather, affected by magnetic fields. It's confined, but sometimes it can violently spew out plasma And this plasma can include things like bubbles of gas and magnetic fields, and that's what a CME is. So a coronal mass ejection then can head towards Earth if it's picked up in uh, solar winds, which come from the sun, which I'll talk about next. And if it's in the right place, it will travel really, really fast, around 200 to 1,000 kilometres per second, or 124 to 621 miles per second. And it takes two days for this material to hit the Earth and interact with our the Earth's magnetosphere. So the Earth is surrounded by this, I guess you could say, kind of like a force field, and it's the magnetosphere, and that protects the Earth from solar activity. So that's what gets hit and helps create auroras. I'll go into that a little bit more in the aurora section. But essentially, this kind of energy, the CMEs, they can disrupt 
radio and satellite signals and can also affect power grids as well. So uh, again, communication signals can be the same and also like compass points because it's magnetic. It can change whether a compass is pointing in the right direction. They've only known about CMEs since the 70s and I was like, wow, that wasn't that long ago, Uh, but it's like 50 years ago. So solar winds. So I mentioned solar winds in relation to CMEs. So high speed solar winds come from areas on the sun called coronal holes. So there's a bunch of holes all over the surface of the sun. And it's the holes that are near the equator are the ones that impact the earth the most. The winds come out of these holes out into space. When a CME hits a solar wind, high-velocity solar energetic particles can be produced and become charged. And these charges are what follow um, magnetic lines. If it's in the right spot, it can hit the Earth, but it needs the winds to get there. So that's important. So those two things are in conjunction. Yeah, so then they must, these magnetic field lines must then intersect with the Earth to result in impacts. So, you know, it's not something that happens, I guess, easily. Like, there's so many, it needs specific conditions to make it happen. So, another term I'm throwing at you geomagnetic storm. The Earth's magnetosphere is created by our magnetic field and protects us from most of the particles that the sun sends out. When a CME arrives at Earth, it hits our magnetosphere. And if the solar magnetic field is directed southwards, it will interact with the magnetic field of Earth and head towards the north and south poles. You're probably seeing where I'm going with this. The Earth's magnetic field strength is dropped. The actual strength of our magnetic field is reduced. And this can last 6 to 12 hours and then slowly recovers over several days. Now, I actually think that might be important for how communication with other realms may happen. So I'll talk about that a little bit later, but keep that in mind. Geomagnetic disturbances, so what's affecting with our geomagnetic sphere. Solar winds are disturbing our Earth's magnetic field. These are called geomagnetic disturbances, and they can be measured on something called a KP index. A storm has to have a has to start at a KP index of five, um, and that's considered minor. And K nine is a <laughs> K nine is a strong storm. So like that's really large, really prolific, really prolific. That's the word. So depending on where you live depends on what level the storm has to be to be able to see an aurora overhead. So where Hobart is, we're at a magnetic latitude of 53.6. Toronto in Canada, that's at a latitude of 53.9. Dunedin in New Zealand's at 53. And we all need a KP of 6 to be able to see an aurora overhead. Easily, I guess. Victoria needs a KP of 9. So there needs to be a big storm to be able to see things at the at the lower latitudes. So the higher latitudes like us at 53, we see it easier. And then, of course, when you're getting out to the poles, that's the easiest to see it. So, so the KP index doesn't actually predict whether there's going to be a northern light or even the strength of the northern lights, but it gives an idea of what to expect. Again, it needs certain conditions to actually happen. So, But, you know, it's worth keeping an eye on because it could be something that will let you to an aurora happening. 
So really, remember KP? It's just uh, measuring the geomagnetic disturbances. It's not actually measuring auroras. So the sun regularly sends energy Earth's way and Earth is often receiving this energy in forms of light and electrically charged particles and magnetic fields. And these resulting impacts are what we call space weather. So when I'm talking about space weather witchcraft, I'm talking about all those things I've just mentioned before. Okay, so sunspots are important because it measures the sun's cycle because the sun has a seasonal cycle as well, seasonal in a different way to how we measure it. Sunspots on the sun's surface have a strong magnetic field. Um, sunspots can be seen on the solar surface all over, all over, all over the solar surface and it can take 27 days to make a complete rotation as seen from Earth. Groups of sunspots are often the site of solar flares. So if you are interested in solar magic, keep an eye on that, particularly if you're interested in solar flares. And we have been watching sunspots for over 300 years and we know from that that the average number of spot sunspots have regularly waxed and waned. So like how the moon waxes and wanes, so do the sunspots. And this cycle is on about an 11-year solar cycle. These solar cycles, they go through low activity and high activity. Like I said, it's on average 11 years, but they can be as short as nine and as long as 14. And it marks like sun's changes. So when solar activity is high, that means that space weather is affecting the earth quite a lot. So it's high, it's maximum sort of things going on. And that's also when we can expect to see auroras more is when the solar activity is high. So in that 11 year cycle, when there's a peak, we'll start to see more auroras. So we're actually currently in the 25th solar cycle that's been measured since 1755 and the activity of this solar cycle is expected to peak around 2025. So that's November 2024 to March 2026. So we can expect to see more auroras and things like that in that time and solar flares. So what does this mean for the Earth? Physically, tech can be affected, which we've heard about, GPS, power grids, radio communications, and of course we get auroras. So that's totally why I'm here. So let's talk about auroras. How are they actually formed? So let's just run through it quickly again. Sun, solar wind from atmosphere of sun gets sent out. The sun releases charged particles or uh, CMEs, magnetic energy, that then hits the wind. And if it's in the right place, it gets carried towards the earth, it then vibrates our magnetosphere and deforms it. And the magnetically charged particles start to move around the earth towards the poles, which then interacts with the protons and electrons towards the earth's atmosphere near our poles. And it can cause an aurora. So sun, plasma, solar, wind, hits magnetic field, charged particles move to the poles, see aurora. Okay, that's it in summary. I think most of us know what auroras are. I would say that very few of us have pos have seen them in real life. I have seen a few because in Tasmania we do have the luxury of being at a higher latitude, not as big as you would see in like the Arctic Antarctic Circle. 
Of course, they can be see un- seen unaided at night by our eyes. Colour may not be seen, but sometimes colour can be seen. A lot of the photos you see online where they're like really bright, pretty colours, chances are they might not be seeing that properly with their eyes and might look more like a white halo, but sometimes you see colour. I remember when I was a teenager laying on the grass and watching an aurora overhead and it was really high in the sky and it had lots of reds and it was gorgeous. So yes, so yes, so you can see them with your eye may not look as bright as you see in photos. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's called the Aurora Borealis, and in the Southern Hemisphere, it's called the Aurora Australis. Auroras are one of the most visible effects of the sun's activity on the Earth's atmosphere. So if you're into solar magic, this is going to be a jam, and I am hugely a sun child, so this is my jam. So the word aurora is derived from the the Roman goddess of dawn herself, Aurora. Ancient Greek poets used the name to describe the colour across the otherwise dark sky. However, I read the name Aurora Borealis was coined by Galileo in 1619. So, yeah, the, the actual term Aurora Borealis hasn't been around as quite as long. Again, it's found in the higher latitudes, so in Australia it can be seen all over the country, but it's more rare to see it outside of Tasmania and Victoria. The aurora borealis can be seen in Alaska, Canada, Iceland, Greenland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and in, a, in the southern hemisphere we also have Antarctica, Chile, Argentina, South Africa, New Zealand, and again Australia. In saying that though, auroras have been recorded in throughout history in really high latitudes. So there's a story about one being seen as far as Singapore. And then there was a reference in 1770 from Kyoto, Kyoto in Japan, which could possibly refer to an aurora. So it was like to do with the sort of red hues in the sky. So you never know, you may actually get to see one in your lifetime. Keep an eye out. If you don't live in these higher latitude areas, you may still get to see one if there's a massive storm. And again, the peak in the 11-year cycle is not that far away. So, you know, colours can vary. Green's one of the most common, but you can also get yellow, white, red, blue, and then it comes in a variety of shapes. It can move across the sky, like in waves. But, yeah, the most common colour is green. On rare occasions, and I didn't know this, but on rare occasions, auroras have a sound. So they've been described by people as having like a crackling sound similar to static radio or like rustling grass. It mostly occurs when it's very cold. I really want to hear this one day, so I hope I get the chance. That sounds absolutely amazing. There's a a mention of the sound of aurora in Tasmania in the 1850s and the indigenous population, it made them very anxious. So, yeah, that was really interesting. Okay, so auroras can occur all year round. There's a myth that they happen more at certain times. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I saw it online. I certainly didn't see anything saying that in the scientific literature. You can see them more in winter simply because there's more periods of darkness. So, yeah, you can see them all year round. Again, it's best observed around midnight, away from light sources such as 
homes and even the full moon like if there was a full moon you wouldn't be able to see it very well it's too much light pollution if you want to see an aurora that's how you see it okay so auroras in folklores so there was some common themes in the research that i was looking at and some of the themes were i guess positive feelings towards seeing an aurora and then there were negative feelings towards seeing an aurora So I'm kind of just picked out a few different stories and I'm really just scratching the surface. So if you want to know more, please do research. There's some really good papers. Some of them do use terms that are not acceptable today to describe Indigenous populations. So keep that in mind when you're researching because if that's something that triggers you, you may like to not look into that information. Okay, so I am going to concentrate fairly heavily on Australia just because that's where we are. And there's some really good papers. I'll have them in the show notes. I can't remember the author's name, but he was from one of the universities here in Australia. First theme, Aurora, red, we're talking red auroras here, is seen as fire or fire related by Indigenous Australians, but not just not just Indigenous Australians. So when Indigenous Australians mostly saw the aurora, they thought of it as fire and bushfire. It was seen as an omen related to the spirit world. The Gunditjimara people used the word hawebue, I'm sorry, I know I pronounced that wrong, which means ashes, to describe the aurora, to name the aurora. The Gunai people saw the aurora as bushfires in the spirit world as well. It was thought that an ancestor was warning of a coming catastrophe. So that's one of the more negative signs. And the Southern Hemisphere tends to have more negative than positive. The Northern Hemisphere has more positive feelings towards the aurora. Okay, so the Dieri people in Southern Australia, in South Australia, believed that an evil spirit was creating a large fire. And that's why the aurora happened. And then the Naringiri people saw aurora over Kangaroo Island and believed that the campfire of the spirits of the dead could be seen, which is a theme that comes up a lot. So um, also in the in New Zealand with the Maori, there's a story about how ancestors had settled further south and when they see the aurora, it's a reflection of fires cast by ancestors which signals their presence and these the the lights the southern lights we call them southern lights you call them the northern lights if you're in the northern hemisphere were seen as a sign that one day their ancestors would return so uh, that's a much more positive story for the southern hemisphere and related to fire Uh, so inuit people in the hudson strait canada so Indigenous Canadians thought auroras um, were simply the torches of spirits who were leading the souls of those who had just died back, of those who had died to paradise. And I absolutely love that. I think that is such a, a beautiful story. Okay, so the next theme with auroras, and again, red, is that it related to blood and or death. And again, this is another theme that is seen all around the world. In Australia... It was seen as warriors fighting a great battle or even the massacred victims rising to the sky. So the aurora was was seen as blood, essentially. 
Um, again, the Dieri people in South Australia saw auroras as a omen that a person in a neighbouring community had condemned, condemned someone to death, so that sign with death. And this was kind of used as a way to control behaviour, just so that like it, it set like a boundary about what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable and and how people should behave. So breaking traditional laws would result in piña, this is this spirit, coming to kill the lawbreakers. There was an aurora and a lunar eclipse recorded in South Australia that signalled that a dangerous spirit being or beings had arrived. Finish Finish Labs thought the aurora was the dead in battle again. And in Scotland, there's a tale of the spirit well being constantly at war and the blood of the wounded falling to earth and becoming coloured stones called bloodstones in the um, hair bridges. Again, I probably pronounced that wrong. But again, it's like that whole thing around sort of blood and death and, and war and battles and that kind of thing. There was also themes about spirit communication. So in Australia there were two and they didn't specify which groups of people were reported to attribute aurora to the spirit of ancestors dancing in the sky or a sign of trouble. And then Inuit people, and I didn't catch where this group was from, but it was when you heard the sound of the aurora, so that really cold weather aurora. It's the voice of the spirits trying to communicate with those on earth and if they whispered to the aurora, you could get a message to the dead through these spirits. In Greenland, it was thought that auroras were, were caused by children who were stillborn or were put to death and were playing ball with their afterbirth. And that wasn't the only story about games. Um, there was another one about how the noise of the aurora was made by spirits playing a game or trying to communicate with the living by talking as well. In China, this is this is a really cool story. It's actually one of the most earliest recorded folklores. But in autumn, around 2000 BC, a woman was sitting alone in the wilderness when she suddenly sees a magical band of light. Moved by the sight... She becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son who who became an emperor. And this emperor becomes the ancestor of all Chinese people. So this, this story of the aurora is really significant for the whole ancestral line of China. Again, there were Native Americans who believe, who believe lights are the spirits of departed friends, who are dancing in the sky and when they shone brightly it meant that their deceased friends were very happy and I just love that. It's so beautiful. The Cree people believed the lights were a way of communicating with the ancestors and when dogs barked at the lights it was because they recognised their companions. So there's another group, there's another theme and again I'll run through these ones quickly but it's all about animals and anything animals makes me happy. So in China, the Shan Heixing, a creature named Shilong, is described to be like a red dragon shining in the night sky with a body of a thousand miles long. The Menominee people in America, I think the Wisconsin area, believe they saw gentle giants fishing at night and that the lights were created by the torches as they fished. In Finland, the northern lights were thought to be produced by Arctic foxes who ran 
so fast in the sky that their large fairy tails brushed against the mountains, creating sparks that lit up the sky. And I also saw another one that said that their tails swept up snowflakes and the speed of their movement caused the moonlight to reflect on the snowflakes, creating the northern lights. And there's a Danish folklore story about how the lights were caused by swans competing to see who could fly furthest north. And according to the myth, some of the swans became trapped in the ice and as they tried to escape, they flapped their wings, creating flurries of light in the sky. And then Sweden, there's some Swedish fishermen who looked forward to seeing the aurora as they thought the lights were a reflection of giant schools of herring swimming nearby, promising good fortune with their catch. There are some stories that uh, don't have any evidence that you may come across online that are common themes. Most of these were Scandinavian ones. So one was about the Bifrost Bridge, um, which was believed to be the Aurora Borealis. No evidence to support that, and it's more thought to be rainbows. And the other one was that the Valkyrie's armor was reflecting back as they led the warriors to Odin. Again, there's no evidence of that either that I could find. I could find articles saying there were no evidence, but that was it. So if you do want to look into that, or if you want to incorporate that into mythos, go for it. But again, just be aware about the stories behind it and how accurate they are. Uh, there was a guy, a guy, a chronicle, a Norwegian chronicle from AD 1230 that actually considered about the phenomenon, phenomenon of aurora and he thought it could be one of three things. Ocean being surrounded by vast fires, sun flares could reach around the world to its night side and glaciers could store energy that eventually became fluorescent, which I thought was really cute. So this is where I wish we could have a discussion because it would have been really cool to talk about this stuff. Um, I would really be interested in hearing your thoughts. So I'm going to talk about uh, space weather as a whole as well as auroras in witchcraft. I actually had to get really creative with my searching on this one. Typing in aurora and witchcraft (laughs) as my search terms mostly brought up a series of books. I didn't find that very helpful. Northern Southern Lights did pretty much the same. Um, So if you're wanting to do research on this topic, really break it down to factors that happened before the aurora, so to do with space weather in particular. So some of the ways that I tackled it was looking at how auroras are the result of the sun. Um, So I did find some information under sun magic. And I also looked into a lot of psychic pages because they talked a lot about how solar flares in particular, but also CMEs. Some of the descriptions around both of those things were a little confused on the pages, like they acted like CMEs and solar flares were the same. So, But I think really given the amount of energy and that they both impact on the magnetosphere and they're both like big space weather events and it causes the strength of our magnetosphere to decline – I would say it's probably going to be pretty similar between the two. That's just my feeling. You may have experience and be like, no, Liz, that's stupid. But, you know, let me know. Tell me. (laughs) Tell me if my thoughts are silly. Okay. So, of course, us humans, we also have an electromagnetic field. That's what our aura is. So the Earth has one. We have one. I've seen it on plants and statues myself. So, yeah, life has an aura, so it has a magnetic field. So to hmm, 
trying to say we have a magnetic field, the Earth has a magnetic field, solar weather is affecting the Earth's magnetic field, so therefore you would think that the solar energy is also affecting magnetic fields on Earth. We have evidence of that with communication, plus us organic creatures. Uh, so I work with space weather, such as aurora and solar flares. So we know that it affects us energetically and physically. Some of the physical changes that can be observed with space weather involve things like blood flow and boosting of adrenaline. And I did a quick check on Google Scholar. It wasn't very thorough, but I did a quick check. And I did find some reputable articles and publishers that, like Elsevier that mentioned like solar weather and impacts on heart rate and cardiovascular health. So so just keep that in mind that there is actually scientific support for this. It's also been shown to affect sleeping patterns. So there's a decrease in melatonin and of course with the decrease in melatonin there's also a decrease on mental health and feelings of depression. There are surges in in energy. So again, I mentioned adrenaline was affected. So this can either make you feel really energetic and, you know, kind of like even anxious, I guess. And then it can also leave you feeling very drained depending on who you are. It can cause dizziness and nausea, heart palpitations, ringing in the ears. And I did actually notice I was getting a lot of ringing in the ears before the last aurora. Increases in coronary diseases um, when solar activity is high compared to when it's in a low um, cycle. And it can also impact on breathing. Mystic Medusa, who, if you don't know who she is, she's an um, astrologer and intuitive. She mentions that she's noticed that when the solar winds are happening, things are feeling way more electrified and she's feeling tingling in her extremities in particular. And she found that magnesium has actually helped to reduce that effect because it, it's quite an uncomfortable effect if you experience it. Okay, so that's the physical stuff. Spiritually, again, you have to think about how auroras are created. So it's the sun sending out large amounts of energy, the solar storms, and charging up the atmosphere. And again, Mystic Medusa says on her website, solar storms are metaphysical stimulants. Solar flares are waking up our DNA. This is from someone else. They are shape-shifting us and they can lead us into feelings of stress and uncomfortableness because of this change. And it can cause quite the upheaval. It's essentially causing a spiritual awakening. So it's opening up our psychic centers, such as our chakras or our third eye, because it affects the gland, the pineal, pineal. I don't know. Who knew that I did science? <laughs> and that helps raise intuition and psychic abilities. So ESP may go through the roof. Psychic detox. So there were a few websites that talked about how this energy, from particularly from solar flares, helps purify... <laughs> one that's got the zoomies helps purify energy it helps purify our whole systems it can help resolve past issues so we can heal and move forward it can clear like the memory stores in our cells and break down old energy patterns and of course that can be uncomfortable as well but if you can sit with it and work through it it can be hugely beneficial for you I saw someone mention that maybe you would like to see those energy, like visualize that energy, like breaking up and turning into particles and just becoming something else. And they said you might even like to imagine it in color, like the Aurora colors. So there's a lot of work that we can do with that. There was 
someone who mentioned that solar storms are in conjunction with travel between dimensions, uh, Circle of Dolphins website um, said that during the accession cycle, and I'm pretty much quoting this, the planet is exposed to solar flares and stellar activations, which cause the levels of planetary uh, auric field progressively open up into each other, dissolving the dimensional frequency barriers that kept the levels separate. So I thought maybe that could be why some people can find it a more beneficial time for communicating with spirits. Circle of Dolphins also mentioned that as the levels dissolve, so like the magnetic sphere dissolves and the atmosphere sort of becomes a bit more dissolved, more conscious energy and awareness merge and can perceive more through different types of communication. So essentially this is just saying the same thing. Solar flares are quick and fast. So if you want to use it in your magic, like it will add like a really quick sort of like oomph, like a, a quick manifestation perhaps or a quick effect on your spell. Someone else suggested that you may like to call on solar deities at this time to help with your magic as well. Because of the effect that changes in the atmosphere, it may feel like we've entered a new reality and this transformation can be really powerful, but it also may see things in our lives sort of end more abruptly. Things that you've maybe been dwelling on for a while might just finally end or maybe you just finally have enough or just things may end quickly. So the magnetic energy is also important, so don't forget that in terms of space, weather, witchcraft. And this is more to do with, like, remember our aura is a magnetic field as well. So this is more to do with things like trying in witchcraft, like spells for attraction. I saw someone mention that they like to imagine the thing that they're trying to draw to them as a nail and themselves as a magnet and, like, bringing it in. So, yeah, spells for attraction. And it also works... Like if something's making you angry or stressed or anxious, perhaps you'd like to imagine breaking it up into particles and flying away and imagine it in the aurora colors while doing it. It also has an astrology, astrological side to it as well. So I like to think of how in astrology, when you look at your whole birth chart, the sun sign's only one part of it and there's this whole other thing outside of it. And it struck me that all these years where I've called myself a sun child, like I really identify really strongly with the sun and I feel recharged by the sun and my magic tends to be more to do with things that are impacted by the sun more than the moon, even though the moon's impacted by the sun. I It sort of occurred to me that, that the whole idea of solar activity, like I've, I've been thinking about the sun as the form of my witchcraft but I forgot about the sun in space and how that's impacting on my witchcraft so I kind of had that that feeling of something greater outside of this one simple thing that I had been focusing on and I'm really excited to see where that takes me another thing is to think about again I mentioned the moon before think about what's happening with space weather in relation to other things going on in the solar system so where is our moon phase 
Is it a full moon? Is it happening during a new moon? Are we having an aurora in that time? What astrology phase is the moon in when the solar flare hits? Like, think about this and, and try and incorporate it all into your magic. Like, there's such a bigger picture out there. Some things that you can do to help with space weather energy impacts. One person suggested wearing pyrite because it will ease the electromagnetic shift someone said to chant and recite mantras not just because it will help alleviate those feelings but also because of the massive amounts of energy and how quickly things come into fruition so that could also help you come to terms with things or make things happen meditation of course is a good thing to do during this time drink lots of water Wear bright colors such as yellow and golds. Um, really embrace that solar energy. Eat yellow fruits and vegetables. But I would say just eat fruits and vegetables anyway because they can be very grounding. And you want to ground. Like if your energy is all over the place and it's flying around, you want to make sure that everything is centered and, and brought back in and, and attuned. So if you are really affected energetically by solar flares in particular, Spend some time grounding, like just try and bring that energy level down, especially if your adrenaline's really running. So yeah, that's space weather, space weather witchcraft and Aurora. I'm curious to know how many of you know about this because it was a massive surprise to me. I just, I knew nothing. I hadn't heard it in podcasts and it really just came because I really wanted to know how I could utilize my love of the aurora into my practice if you have any ideas or suggestions for how you use it i would really love to hear it you can let us know by emailing us at witchy.bytes at outlook.com or you can reach out to us on facebook which is witchy bites podcast or on instagram at witchy bites you could even message me on my private instagram at dumpling squid just let us know. I, I really am interested and fascinated and particularly around solar magic. What are you doing and how are you incorporating it and how do you find it? Do you find particularly solar flares and stuff? Is it something that you feel is negative impact on your body or is it something that you feel is tiring? Do you feel the changes in the environment? If you haven't, if you don't know how to find out about where things are and what's happening there's some really good apps i have an app called solar space weather that one is an android app i don't know if it's on apple products on iphones but yeah um i'm sure there'll be something very very similar i hope you enjoyed and we'll catch you at the next one with honey back in tow bye